Hello, everyone. Welcome to Just Jana, a podcast where each month I'll speak to a variety of industry leaders to bring you education, trends, and relevant topics in franchising. I'm your host, Jana Bailey, CEO of FranNet. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Just Jana. I am absolutely thrilled to have with me today a dear friend and one of the first professionals in the IFA that I really got to know when I took this job 16 years ago. So with that, I'm going to have my dear friend, Marianne O'Connell, introduce herself to our audience. Yana, thanks for that lovely introduction. I am Marianne O'Connell. I am the president and founder of FranWise. We are a franchise consulting firm that focuses on operations and compliance. We do a lot of work with businesses that are converting to the franchise model. And for those and for established businesses, we write a lot of manuals. And yes, Jana, I do remember we met at an IFX conference. I can't believe it was 13 years ago. 16, my 16. dear. It's been a while. It's just flown by. So tell us, Marianne, about your background and your experience prior to starting FranWise. I stumbled into franchising at the time, and it was 1979. Uh, probably before some of the listeners were born, uh, I was in commercial real estate. And here in Los Angeles, the market fell out. The gentleman I was dating at the time, also in commercial real estate, was approached by a friend named Chris Friedrich, who was starting a brand new franchise. It was also a new concept for business in general. It was direct mail advertising. Valpac was in its infancy. Um, most businesses advertised only using the newspaper or um, the yellow pages. And we came along. So it was, we were the first franchisees, the two of us, and it was fast paced. It was uh, talking to business owners every single day, selling ads. It was rewarding, it was fun. We were graced with having a visionary franchisor. He understood the power of the internet before most people did, the power of Macintosh. He had all of us buy the first Apple computer. We oh, were designing wow. our own ads. And so we were having so much fun. I became a multi-unit franchisee for that brand. Um, in that time, that partner became a husband and became an ex-husband <laughs> at the same time. So when we decided that we weren't going to work as husband and wife anymore, he kept the franchises. I was hired by Money Mailer to come in and I was vice president of their franchise operations. So we did training and support and customer care for even the production side of things. And, um, when I left there, I worked for a couple of local brands here in Orange County, California, and then got hired by Grey Clips. Um, and I love it. We weren't even a thousand units at that point. Uh, we got to open Southern California and Nevada. And then I also took over the existing territories of Utah and um, Arizona. 
And after a few wow. years there, they're such a brilliant company. They were growing. We blew by that thousand, thousand unit wall easily, but they were so well structured. I got bored. I couldn't innovate. And I called Rhoda Olson and said, if I leave now, we'll stay friends. And if you talk me into staying another year, it won't be pretty. So uh, she was gracious, but she was also devious and worked hard to keep me by keeping me as a consultant. So they were the first client for FranWise. Wow. And that's how they were my base as we built. Um, so I've had great exposure now to some of the best companies that are out there. We have worked in service for about 300 uh, franchise brands over the years, and I get to learn a little from each of them. So it's a great, uh, it's really a great experience. That's the beauty of franchising and any of us that have that opportunity to work with different brands and different concepts, it's just, it never ceases to amaze me. And there's not a boring day because we're looking at so many different things. So go into detail. You touched on it a little bit, but tell us a little more about FranWise. Now, I know for the longest time, you felt like the only thing people really thought about when they thought FranWise was manuals, because you've done a lot of manuals. And I know you did the FranNet manual for us, and it's wonderful. But there are a multitude of other services you provide as well. And again, you touched on it, but I'd like for you to really focus on that so the audience has a good understanding of what you do. Thank you for this opportunity because it's still, I'm obviously not hitting my marketing uh, messaging correctly. We never got into this to write manuals. I really wanted to consult. As I said, I had been very fortunate that my first foray into franchising was with, we were kids and none of us knew what we were doing, but it worked out and it was a very successful um, experience. But there were things that could have been done better. And I learned as I touched more brands. So my attitude was, if I can go in and help brands that are starting to franchise, um, not to diminish what we write, but in the beginning, the manuals were information exhaust. If I have consulted with you and I've helped you work before you've even engaged an attorney to go through all the items in the FDD and figure out what makes sense to put in there. I do find too often, especially when brands come to me having been referred by attorneys and that work is already done, that the franchisor didn't pay a lot of attention to what was going in there because it, it's complicated. There are mm -hmm. rules that FTC puts in. There are rules that NASA has put in for wording and we can tend to glaze over. Well, I'd rather go through and say, let's start with the financial basis. How much do you need to make as a franchisor to make this worth your while? So then if we can build a pro forma of what their costs are going to be. Now, what does your unit economics look like? And based on that, how many of those units do we need to sell to create the royalty stream that creates the wealth that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And then what kind of support does that entail? And what does that support cost? Because a lot of times people will 
people say to me all the time, well, how long should training be? Training should be as long as training takes. And for some brands, it's two days and some brands, it's three months. And you have to say, and what is the cost of that? I find a lot of times development people are whispering in the ear of these franchisors and potential franchisors that if you were to make training longer, if you were to have certain requirements of them, it's going to change item seven and that's going to make it harder to sell franchises. My attitude is, okay, so work harder. But Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build something that sustains. So Mm -hmm. even if you think you're hiring us just for the manual, trust me, I have an opinion on everything. (laughs) It might not be right, but it's an opinion. I'm going to challenge my clients every step of the way as to what they're putting in there, what should come out, what should go in. Um, So yes, our consulting services start with that or looking at the documentation an existing brand has and saying, do you understand you have some triggers in here? I'm not an attorney, but I talk to them every day um, and I will refer them back to their counsel because things could be triggers for vicarious liability or co-employment. Um, and Brian Schnell at Fagri gave me great advice years ago. Don't always kick them back to the attorney. Start with the insurance company. If that franchise insurance company won't defend you because you've put this policy in writing, uh, don't put it in writing. So when we're, whether we're writing manuals or we're consulting, we are always trying to give you the why behind what is in and what is strategically left out of your manuals. We also help brands with franchise relations issues because again, a lot of it goes down to what have you required? um, What support have you given? And where is the disconnect in the expectation between what the development people said Mm -hmm. and what the reality was and trying to find balance between those. And that's what we do. I love it. And of course, obviously FranNet's in the franchise development side of things, but I wish more Zors would slow down and think through those things you just mentioned, because the very issues you talked about are what can make the difference in them being in business five or 10 years from now versus folding up the tent because of all the mistakes they made. And we do not like putting our clients into things that aren't going to stay around. So thank you for what you do for the industry. Well, thanks. And, and I mean, this isn't just a mutual, you know, let's pat each other on the back, but your folks really take the time to get to know the brands and to understand them. They will, I've seen some of your franchisees push back on a mm-hmm. franchise when they say something here isn't making sense so before we get to that point it's my goal to try and help a franchise or look at their business a little differently and I will say my main job and if I could find out a way to monetize this it would be great is to talk people out of franchising Mm. Um, I, I get calls from your folks I get calls all day long from people who have an idea and they want to franchise it. And I will be brutally honest in how long it takes in what your minimum investment is going to be about how long you're feeding that beast until any money goes back in your pocket and what 
your role as a human being is going to be and is that what you want to do and most people say well this was really depressing i'm like great because <laughs> i love franchising obviously it's my 43rd year in the business i absolutely love it but it there's a graveyard of brands that haven't made it and i honestly right. believe we have a moral obligation to do it as best we can because people are mortgaging their homes, their college yep. funds, their retirement funds. And I don't want the government coming after franchising because all of a sudden there are a whole bunch of people who can't afford to retire because of a franchise they invested in. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I think we all have that obligation to try to help steer people in the right direction. I absolutely hate seeing people given bad advice and just you know, the documents sewn together and now they're a franchise and then they can't understand why we won't work with them. And it, it hurts my heart. So I'd a lot rather, I, I compare it to when I was in banking, sometimes saying no was the best answer a lender could give a company because it wasn't the right thing to do. So what advice do you have for new franchisors or someone wanting to franchise their concept? So how what do you start with when you're you're talking to these brand new babies? Um, my first thing is make sure you have enough financing or access to capital. It is expensive. Um, way back in 1979, you could grow a franchise out of your garage. Money Mailer was literally grown with a printing press in somebody's living room. Um, but that was before the internet. And right. the internet changed everything. They, prospective franchisees can research you, know everything about you. And in doing mm -hmm. that research, they're going to stumble across your competitors. Mm -hmm. So you need to have your act together. Not that you have to run into it as a, you know, a 200 brand ready business, but you have to have the business to grow. If, especially if you have something truly innovative, I'm working with, two concepts right now in health and beauty that have some very new technology. One of them is piecing together the financing and people are beginning to see that technology that's out there and someone with better funding is going to eclipse them. The other one has really thought it through, has a couple of units operating, has their systems down, got the money and boom, they're going to come on the scene big. That makes a difference. Not that I'm a proponent of let's go out and sell 70 units a year because most right. people can't support that, but you need to be prepared. And I will say the number one resource and Shelly ought to start paying me royalty on this. I tell everyone to go to Amazon and download Shelly's son's book, Grow Smart, Risk Less. Yep. So woman was brilliant when she wrote this. Um, the numbers, okay, you have to adjust for some inflation and, and changes in the market, but it really explains what you need today, what you need in five years, and how you put all of that together. So I do tell them, have the money, have more than one unit open. One successful unit could be a fluke. Exactly. And this is all about replicating so I explain to people, if you have this one unit and we're talking, go open a second and probably a third 
in demographics that are different than where you're currently working. And let's see what this thing can really do. Because if it's driven by a narrow demographic, that doesn't mean it's no go. It just means there will be fewer units. Therefore, let's go back to that equation we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You're going to have to increase the fees per unit to cover the cost of getting it going. You and I sing from the same hymnal, my friend. I, I talk about proof of concept when they come to us. I want to see that the concept has truly been proven out, you know, and like you said, more than one and more than one location, different types of demographics, um, because otherwise you don't know what's going to happen when they get into entirely different marketplaces and how it's going to uh, unfold for that potential franchisee that invests in it. So one scary stuff. I do explain to them is that if they get into this, the worst scenario is they award five, maybe eight units and they decide or realize it's not working either financially or it is not working for them as individuals. And they don't at eight or five units have enough money to hire their replacement part. <laughs> right. But you can't just say to everybody, okay, it, it was a nice experiment. I'm done because you've signed a contract for yep. eight or 10 or 20 years with people you have to figure out where's the money going to come from to unwind it. So mm -hmm. think it through before you start. Exactly. Well, I can't believe how fast the time's flown while we chat, but one of the last questions I'd like to ask you, and you have pretty good insight to the industry. What are your predictions for the balance of 2022? You know, it's, it's always fun to listen to everybody. I tell people, if you listen to a bunch of salespeople, everybody's having a great year. It's the best year they've ever had. They've just got more leads and deals than they know what to do with. And that's not always the case. So what are you seeing and what do you think the balance of this year is going to look like, Marianne? Well, I'm shocked that that's not the case. But um, <laughs> I, I thought that 20 and 21 were going to be the most uncertain years. And then here we open up again and we have such conflict in um, mm. Europe. And uh, that is going to have, it's going to ripple back to us in a number of ways. So I think it's an uncertain year. I do uh, notice that Franchise Update had said that development seems to be leveling off. You really had a boom through the, um, through the pandemic, which was bizarre, but that was the fact. But now all those units have to get opened. There's right. a lot of snow on the ground, sold not open, and they all have got to start opening. So I do believe that the focus will shift back into operations and into marketing, uh, store level marketing, so that we can open more and more successful units. I do think that the uncertainty in the West and possibly in Asia will start to change international expansion. A lot of people would go for easy low-hanging fruit by awarding a country to somebody. But I had lunch with Bill Edwards from Edwards Global Service the other day, and he was very candid about, you know, the farther east in Europe we go, the more uncertainty there is. Um, and that the the threat of war will change the economic dynamics. Where is money going in the countries? 
Personally, I do think that when this horrible war in Ukraine is resolved, America will step in with something akin to the Marshall Plan. And that could be a, an economic boon for America, but will it possibly, as companies can invest in rebuilding, will it pull some money away from franchising? So a lot of questions that I have, mm -hmm. I'm not an economist, I'm a news junkie, um, but that's what I see as a year of uncertainty, but I think our brands need to focus on having their opening processes and teams in place, working with great real estate people and focusing on getting all those units they sold open and being productive so that when we level out again, we can have another growth spurt. I love that, Marianne. Um, and I agree with you. I think just about the time we think we're about to see COVID in our rear view mirror, then the war in Ukraine has happened. And franchise sales are definitely impacted by uncertainty. People get nervous. And when they're nervous, they're not as likely to invest. So I'm like you. I think it, it really remains to be seen how all this plays out this year. But good advice on getting the ones that were sold open and profitable. Um, I, from time to time, have to have a conversation with some of our franchisors and say, it's time to stop the sales or go on a break and focus on unit economics and focus on, you know, being sure everybody's open and happy because until that happens, validation is hurt. So all of these things, it's, it's a has to be a continuum. They have to sell them get them open, get them profitable, get them happy, you know, and then you can sell. Right. Level that ground for better sales. My last piece of advice to any brand would be that you, store development um, is difficult. And especially if you're a newer brand, don't try and do it in-house. Mm -hmm. There are great companies that can do everything from your design, outsourcing, project management, construction management, real estate companies that can work with you and be your exclusive agent in a market and find you spots you don't even know are coming yet. So whatever you can do to get those units open faster, franchisors, have this idea that they have to have their brand name slapped on everything. They don't. You still add value if you're the one who found the resource, got the things flowing quickly at a negotiated rate, do that. You don't have to grow your footprint, but you do have to get those units open. Great advice. Well, Marianne, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for being my friend for 16 years. And I guess for however much longer we'll both be in this industry hanging around. So, you know, we're going to be friends after we're out of the industry, but we're not going anywhere any, anytime soon, are we? Nope, not in any hurry myself. So yes, our friendship will, will endure. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you to all of our audience for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you back on the next Just Jana episode. Thank you. Thank you.